Amen. This morning, uh, our scripture is from Psalm 77. To the choir master, according to Judithan, a psalm of Asaph. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Or his promises at the end of all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. Then I said, I will appeal to this. To the years of the right hand of the Most High, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled, the clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the celebration in our heart today because of a a clear vision of who you are. God, sometimes that, that vision becomes clouded by the circumstances around us. And I just pray today that you'll give us a concentration and focus to see you for who you really are. God, I I just pray that you will become the vision for our life right now and forever. So take us there, God, as we look into your word now for a message from you, a word from you, and lift us up in our spirit as we focus on you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I invite you to open your Bible with me to Psalm 77. We've We've heard it read, and um, we're going to work through this, this passage today to find God's encouragement uh, for our, our life today. This past week at the Global Leadership Summit, Dr. Henry Cloud shared that mental disorders are at an all-time high in our world today, the whole wide world today. He said that his research shows that 78% of the people walking on the earth today are battling some kind of mental distress. That means that most of us who are hearing this message today 
or in some kind of uh, mental challenge, some kind of mental stress. Does that surprise you? I mean, it doesn't surprise me when I look at everything that's going on around us in our world today and in today's difficult times. Even believers may find ourselves spiraling down into dark and discouraging despair. So, so where's God in the middle of times of despair? Where is God when we have a bad day? Where is God when we have a bad season of life? Recently, our daughter and son-in-law went to the 2021 CrossFit Games in Madison, Wisconsin. CrossFit is designed to test every single part, every fiber in your body and build strength and muscle from the severe test that you put your body under. Parenting and grandparenting two-year-olds tests and strengthens every emotional fiber in your body and in your mind. But both highlight one thing, both highlight one motto, and that is no pain, no gain. That's the reality of life. So in Psalm 77, Asaph was having one of these bad days. He wrote this song according to the superscript to Jeduthun, who was also a worship leader. So here we have have two worship leaders, two people who are involved in playing musical instruments and leading God's people in worship and celebration of His name. And both of these people were obviously having a bad day or a bad season of life. And so this psalm literally helps us understand what to do during bad days, what to do during bad seasons of life. And the big question is, where is God when you're having a bad day? Where is God when you're experiencing a season of life that is bad? Well, during bad days and during bad seasons of life, I want us to track at least three things that this psalm gives us Ways that we can find God when we're having bad days. So let's look at them. First of all, we see in verses 1 through 6, to remember to call on God for help. Remember to call on God for help. Look at verse 1. I cry out to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out. Without wearying, my soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. So Asaph apparently was in despair. And look at what he did first. First of all, he, he remembered to call on God for help. His outstretched arm indicates at least two things. Number one, he was humble and desperate to find God. But secondly, his faith was secure. His faith was fervent. Even though he was struggling to find God, he still held on to that strain of faith that was inside of him. It seemed, however, that no matter how much effort he put into being comforted, 
no comfort would come. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt so distressed, so much in despair, cried out to God, and felt like there was no answer there? Even remembering what God had done in the past for Asaph and meditating on God's mercies brought him no immediate relief for this present crisis that he was in. He was totally humbled, brought to his knees at this point. Now it's interesting that most people assume that when a person is walking with God and pursuing God, that life is going to be a bed of roses. But I assure you, we're going to see today that nothing could be farther from the truth than that. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was one of the greatest preachers in British history. And here's what he said. He said, God's primary desire is not to make us happy, but holy. I don't know about you, but I know that's true. I don't like necessarily the sound of it. He went on to say that that blessed state requires a refiner's fire instead of a bed of roses. So Asaph found himself in this refiner's fire. He felt the heat of life pressing in on him. And he cried out to God for help. He stretched his hand to God for comfort. He meditated on God and even in his meditation he found no immediate encouragement. Now, with a casual reading of this passage, you can, you can feel that black curtain just kind of coming down over Asaph's head and settling in. Look at verse 4. You hold my eyelids open. In other words, he couldn't sleep at night. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. In other words, he, he couldn't think straight in order to have a meaningful conversation. He said, I consider the days of old, the years of long. I said, let me remember my song in the night. He couldn't even focus on the great things that God had done in his life in the past. So he says, let me meditate in my heart. Let me, God, please. Then he turns a corner, the first corner. He said, then my spirit made a diligent search. Good job, Asaph. Where to go? In his despair, he continued to search for God. He didn't give up. He kept looking for the hand of God, working in the circumstances surrounding him. So let me ask you, what do you do? What do you do when you're in despair? What do you do when you're having a bad day? Let me just throw four ideas at you that you might can do, that might encourage you. Uh, there are probably scores of them that we could share here today, but let me just throw four at you. First of all, you could look back and try to find relief by remembering better days. That's what Asaph tried to do, but when he did this, he couldn't focus. He was distracted by his pain, by his despair, and he just was being driven into deeper despair. But you could do that. You could look back and try to find relief in remembering what better days look like. Second idea, 
you could Google solutions for insomnia. <laughs> I, I did that this past week just for grins. I Googled it, and, and I had hundreds of ideas that came up about what to do for insomnia. In fact, the more I read, the more confused I became. It just kind of, I, I, I kind of got driven further into despair by just looking at uh, the solutions that they offered for insomnia on the deep, dark web. These suggestions uh, could, though, actually help you laugh yourself to sleep <laughs> if you read enough of them, uh, I guarantee you. But that is an option. You can Google solutions. Thirdly, you can ask God to reveal the cause of your distress. Now, that's getting closer to the answer. Asking God to disclose the cause for why you're distressed. Now, let me just give you a warning. If you do that, if you choose that option, be ready for straight answers. Because God's going to give you straight answers to the questions that you ask about the source of your anxiety. A fourth solution, and this one I highly recommend, is to decide how you're going to respond before you get into a situation of despair. Now, that's a good answer, I think. Uh, several years ago, my phone rang in the middle of the night, and I recognized the voice on the other end immediately. It was the voice of a young lady I had led through pre-marriage counseling and actually done their wedding. They were very active young members in our church. She said, our apartment is on fire. We're losing everything. So I jumped in my car and I headed a few blocks down the road. And sure enough, the fire trucks were all there. Smoke was going up in the air. When I found my soot-covered friends, Lorianne looked at me and she said, Ronnie, the Lord is the strength of my life. Now, she didn't come up with that answer in the middle of that crisis. She had made that decision long before she entered into that crisis. And you can fill in the blank with any crisis that you could ever face, and you can determine beforehand how you're going to react when something challenging comes into your life, which is what Laurie did. When I was driving over there, I had no idea what I was going to say, and fortunately, I didn't have to say anything. She said it all. She didn't decide that, though, at that moment. She had predetermined how she was going to react in a stressful situation. She made that decision long before she had a bad day. And you and I need to do the same thing. In James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, we have some really encouraging words that kind of fall heavy on our ears. James says, Count it all joy when you meet various trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What a promise. The promise is not if you meet trials of various kinds. It says when you meet trials of various kinds. Trials are coming. You're going to face some trials today, most likely. 
And so be prepared in advance how you're going to deal with those trials. When under this curtain of distress that Asaph was under, he remembered to keep calling on God for help. And that's what you and I need to predetermine that we're going to do. We're going to keep calling on God for help. Secondly, during bad days and bad seasons of life, remember to call on God for compassion. We see that in verses 7 through 9. Listen, listen as I read these verses again to Asaph's desperation. Verse 7, he says, Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Or his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Now the psalmist calls us to get real. He calls us to think about reality. In his desperation, he boldly expressed how he was feeling to God. He didn't candy coat it. He didn't beat around the bush. He said, God, this is how I'm feeling right now. And he poured it out to God. I pray that you and I have learned to do that. I pray that we know that God is strong enough to take whatever we give Him because He is a compassionate God. He does want to hear how we feel. Now, Asaph was asking rhetorical questions. He knew the answer to every one of these questions. He knew that the answer to every one of these questions was no. God has not lost his compassion. God has not kept his, failed to keep his promise. He knew that every one of these was an accusation that he was making that the answer was no. But it helped him in his desperation to pour out his heart to God and ask God these, these questions. Charles Haddon Spurgeon once again said, and I quote, Anyone who accuses Asaph of not being spiritual enough has never really experienced the stuff of real life and ought to keep his mouth shut. I didn't say that. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said that. I'm just quoting what he says. He goes on and he says, Asaph's depression didn't mean he was a spiritual midget. In fact, it revealed a spiritual giant who still found himself experiencing growing pains. End of quote. What a reality. What a truth. In every one of these questions, Asaph was asking God to show grace and compassion. He was asking questions that actually pushed him closer to God. So be real with God. I know some of you right now are dealing with some struggles. Get them off your chest. Express them to God. Keeping that strain of faith tightly held in your hand for God. Because compassion is at the very heart and very nature of God. Lamentations chapter 3 verses 22 and 23. Jeremiah says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Did you get it? His compassions 
are new every morning. The word compassion comes from two Latin words, with love. And that's the definition of God. First John says God is love. In Luke chapter 15, we have a record of a very dysfunctional family. Anybody relate to that? I'm talking about a very dysfunctional family. There was a father who had two sons. And the younger son came to the father and said, Dad, give me my inheritance now. Don't want to wait till you die. Give me your inheritance now. And so the father gave him his inheritance. He took off and wasted it. He ended up feeding pigs in a pigsty. And he became so desperate that he ended up eating pig slop. And in the middle of that kind of lifestyle, he woke up one day and he said, Wow, my father's servants have food to eat and clothes to wear and shelter. I'm going back to my father. And in Luke chapter 15 and verse 20, here's what the Bible says. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And ran and embraced him and kissed him. The father's compassion was so great that it infuriated the older brother. He said, Dad, I've been faithful to you. I've worked all these years for you. I've done everything you've ever asked me to do. And he was jealous of the father's love for the younger brother. But the father's compassion, here's the point. The father's compassion continued for both of his rebellious sons. Both of them. Now I don't know where you've been every step of the way in your life. But I know this. No matter how far you've run away from God. No matter how much you've struggled in your relationship with God. He's running after you. He's standing with his arms open wide, ready to receive you back to himself if you'll only return to him. His compassions are new every day. Dr. Henry Cloud said the answer to every dark season of life, the answer to every, in my words, bad day that you will ever have, is found in the gospel. And we see it right here in this passage. Look back at verses 7, 8, and 9 with me real quickly. I want to do this real quickly. But Asaph was accusing God of turning his favor away from him. And verse, verse 7 reminds us that, that God has shown his favor for you today in an incredible way. The Bible says in 1 John verse, chapter, chapter 1 and verse 9, If we confess our sin... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness? What? We've turned against God, run away from God, rebelled against God, and yet He has given us His grace. All we have to do is confess our sin, and He will forgive us of our sin. Have you done that? 
Have you confessed that you're a sinner and given your life to him today? Asaph accused God of closing up his steadfast love to him. And God has displayed his steadfast love for you in a, in a powerful way. We studied in our small groups recently. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. The Bible says there is therefore now. Now. No condemnation in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has taken on himself your punishment for sin. And offered you forgiveness for your sin. And when he looks at you when you've repented of your sin and given your life to him. He looks at you and doesn't see your sin. He sees Jesus, the perfect son of God. Asaph accused God of of not continuing his promise to him but God has kept every promise that he's ever made for you every promise in 2nd Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14 the Bible says if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land what a promise Verse 19 in that same passage, though, says, If my people fail to keep my promises, if my people rebel against me and turn to other gods, wrath is coming, judgment is coming. So there's two sides to that promise. You can't take one without taking the other. If you've never turned away from your sin and turned to God, if you've never repented and given your life to Him, Do it now so you can receive the promises, all of the promises. He's kept every promise he's ever made. And the greatest promise is sending Jesus to be your personal Savior. In verse 9, Asaph accuses God of holding his grace back. And God has offered his grace for you and me. You know, Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. God has offered you grace upon grace. That means that he has offered you reward rather than judgment. He's offered you mercy rather than condemnation. But it's a gift. You have to receive that gift in order for it to become yours. And finally, in verse 9, Asaph accused God of withholding his compassion. And God has lavished his compassion upon you. The most famous verse in all the Bible in most of the world is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Talking about compassion. Mentioned my nearly two-year-old granddaughter, have a two-year-old grandson as well. And there's almost nothing I wouldn't do for them. I love them so much. And obviously I love their parents as well. But 
when you love somebody, you would do anything for them. And that's what God has done for us. He's done everything he possibly can to give us a hand during our deepest trial, our deepest bad day that we might have, our most grueling bad season that we might have. So remember to call on God and receive His favor and love and promise and grace and compassion when you're having a bad day. Thirdly, during bad days and bad seasons, remember to call on God with confidence. Now, this is where there was a great turning point in the soul of Asaph. In Psalm 77, verse 10, he said, Then I said... I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. He remembered to trust God. He remembered how faithful God was. And he turned his focus away from himself and turned his focus totally back to God. Are you aware that only a tested faith produces confidence? And only a confident faith can persevere? We've learned by watching some of the Olympics recently that a good start is great, but a good finish is what really counts. Again, I don't know where you are in life, but you're here today. Wherever you are, you're here today. And you can finish strong with confidence in God. Mark 13, 13 says, Whoever perseveres to the end will be saved. Now that doesn't mean you work your way to be saved. That means if God is in you, there's work to do. And that work begins by putting your confident faith in Him. See, Asaph was determined to trust his wonder-working God. Have you come to that point in your life yet? Where you put your trust in the wonder-working God? I mentioned Charles Haddon Spurgeon twice already. Let me just tell a little bit more of his story. He was a a great preacher out of intense pain that he endured. He had gout and other related diseases, but the most painful part of his life was in dealing with his wife. The most ten productive years of his life, his wife was an invalid. She had to have constant care. She could do nothing for herself. And one evening, they were sitting together in her room with a fireplace burning and gases that had been trapped inside the wood were released causing this beautiful musical tone you've heard that if you've ever heard of fire hot fire burning he looked at Susanna and he said and I quote it takes a fire to bring out the music end of quote C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia Hundreds of works, C.S. Lewis, Shadowlands. He wrote hundreds of works. He watched his 45-year-old wife die with painful cancer.
cancer. And here's what he said, I quote, Mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it's more common and harder to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. It's easier to say my tooth is aching than to say my heart is broken. End of quote. So remember to call on God with confidence in your deepest moment of challenge and despair when you're having a really, really, really bad day. Now, Asaph, this great worship leader, taught us how to worship during a bad day, beginning with verse 13. He said, Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. He reminds us that, that God always guides, God always protects, God always strengthens His people when we are obedient and trust Him. He mentions Jacob and Joseph in verse 15. Was Joseph's path a bed of roses? Well, well no. If you, if you follow Genesis chapter 37 to Genesis chapter 50, you'll find out that very few men on earth ever faced the challenges that Joseph faced. When he was 17 years old, his brothers rejected him and sold him into slavery. He was taken to Egypt and bought by a ruler named Potiphar. He worked his way up in Potiphar's eyes to where he was in charge of Potiphar's whole household. And Potiphar's wife seduced him. Sexual temptation. He ran away from that sexual temptation. And because of it, Potiphar turned his anger against him and placed him back in prison. While he was in prison, he helped a man be released from prison by interpreting a dream. And said, don't forget about me when you get out there in your freedom. The guy forgot about him. He was rejected by a man whose life he had saved from, from prison. Joseph had a few bad days. <laughs> He had a few bad seasons of life, but he never lost his confidence in God. And because of that, God blessed him and elevated him and used his line to bring Israel back from bondage in Egypt after 400 years to the promised land. What God had done in the past, Aesop was saying, he will do in the present and the future. Because He's God. You can have confidence in Him. In verse 15, With your arm you redeemed your people. The very nature and purpose of God is to redeem human beings. Some of you need to hear that today. Some of you need to be set free from the slave-bound life that you're living in sin and repent of that sin turn away from that sin turn to God and let him redeem you today that's what God does best redeems people from enslavement from bondage 
from the cares of this world, from the struggles of this world. Not that you're not going to have struggles, but you're going to have God with you, carrying you through those struggles. So today, you can call on God with confidence because He has redeemed you. He has provided the purchase price by His own blood to set you free from the penalty of your sin. And that should give you hope today and hope on even your worst day. So as Asaph turned his focus away from himself and turned his focus to God, his strength began to be restored. He recited then a Cliff Notes version of the whole book of Exodus. <laughs> so we're not going to take time to read the whole book of Exodus, but look at what he says beginning with verse 16. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, and the, your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And God will do the same today for you. Having a bad day? When you have a bad day? Let God lead you through the waters. Take Him by the hand. Take Him as your greatest companion. Because God is greater than all of His past deeds. Now, if you read the Old Testament and even the New Testament, God's past deeds have been pretty phenomenal. But He's still more powerful to work those deeds in your life today when you learn to trust Him. God has a purpose for every good day you've ever experienced. And God has a purpose for every bad day you will ever experience. So learn to trust His faithfulness. Put your confidence in Him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17, after being imprisoned and exiled and flogged and starved, nearly drowned to death, robbed, slandered, violently persecuted. The Apostle Paul says, This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And here's the deal. I don't care what you've ever been through or what you ever will go through. That pain is no comparison to the blessing that God is going to give to those who fully trust Him. So is that you? Are you willing to put that kind of confidence in you? The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 13 lived with what's called a thorn in the flesh. God's aim was not muddled in Paul's mind. He knew what God's aim was. His aim was, the, the aim of the Apostle Paul was to boast in his weakness so that God could be glorified. Can that be the motto of your life? Can that be the motto of my life? I pray that it will be. 
The first class I had when I went to seminary was a New Testament survey by J.W. McGorman. Dr. McGorman had a very severe eye disorder. I can relate to that, but his was much worse, much worse than mine. Here's what he said. He said, the thorn room is the way to the throne room. There's something about the glory of God discovered in suffering that can be known in no other way. You and I can know that as a reality as well. God's primary desire is not to make us happy. It's to make us holy. And many things we think will make us happy will not make us holy. So God is working toward making us holy. So how can we take the principles of this psalm? When you're having a bad day, where's God? How can we find God when we're having a bad day? Well, let me just give you three ideas to remember as we process this now through the rest of our day. First of all, when God is silent, He's still working in our lives. Are you aware of that? When I can't see His hand, trust His heart. Somebody wrote a song about that. So believers can constantly focus on God's redemption process. When you're having a bad day, just refocus on the mighty works of God, the mighty hand of God, because God is working to make us holy. How we respond in times of despair and struggle and pressure will shape how we ultimately grow our faith in God. Secondly, regardless of how bad things seem, never quit talking to God. Do you see how Asaph started out just mumbling his gripes and complaints about God, and the more he focused on God, he didn't give up, he kept focusing on God, and his anxiety began to go down, and his confidence in God began to go up. That will be true for you and me as well. Never quit talking to God. Be honest with Him. Be open with Him. Let Him turn trials and into triumphs by constantly calling out for His compassion in your life. And finally... Reclaim the promises of God and the praise of God. Only He is worthy of our worship. Only He is worthy of our, our praise. Even when we're having a bad day, the thorn room draws us to God's throne room. So go there. Be like Asaph. Pour it out. He can take it. Where's God when you're having a bad day? Well, He's at work holding you together, holding everything together. I read this week about a 747 jetliner. Do you know that there are over, listen to this now, there are over a million component parts to a 747 jetliner. And here's the kicker. 
Not one single one of those parts can fly on its own. Only when they're all held together, intact, functioning properly, can that airplane take you to where you need to go. There are millions and billions of people in the world today. And in history, there have been billions of people. Far too many try to make it through life on our own. And that, that's not going to work. It can't work. Because we weren't designed to work through life on our own. Only when we allow God to put the parts together and hold us together can we survive when we're having a bad day. Where's God when we're having a bad day? He's there to hold us together. So trust Him. Trust His compassion. Trust His comfort. Trust His love today. Father, thank You that You have given us an opportunity to put our lives consciously, intentionally, regularly, in your hands. God, I pray for someone here today who maybe never has experienced the fact that you love them and gave your son to die for their sin. I pray that today would be the day when they would admit their sin and believe that you're there to do what you promised you would do. And that's set us free when we cry out to you and repent of our sin and turn away from our sin and say, God, I want the rest of my life to count for you. I want you to hold me together when I can't hold myself together. I trust you to do that. I surrender my life to you in order to do that. God, I pray that the motto of our life today would be that you would be magnified in every fiber and every challenge of our life. I pray that the testimony of our life would be to let our light shine for your honor and your glory through the good days and through the bad days. That's our commitment, God. In Jesus' name, we continue to worship now. Amen.